For marketing agencies and social media managers looking to prove the value of their work, I've got something special for you. Agora Pulse is not only Social Media Examiner's tool of choice as an all-in-one social media management tool, it also allows you to track the traffic, conversion, and revenue from every social post, comment, and private message. Learn how to prove your social media ROI with a free training or a free trial by visiting agorapulse.com SME today. Again, agorapulse.com SME. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here's your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. I am really excited about today's show. I'm going to be joined by Park Howell, and we're going to explore how to create stories for business that move people to act. And if you're a marketer, a social media marketer, and you're trying to stand out in this noisy world, understanding how to create stories is going to be your unique differentiator, and you will love it this podcast. Before we get to the podcast, let's move on to this week's brand new discovery. Helping you stay alive in a social jungle, here's this week's survival tip. This week, I'm joined by Eric Fisher with a brand new discovery. What'd you find, Eric? I found a boomerang for Gmail. You found a boomerang. You know, I haven't played with one of those in forever. (laughs) It's been a long time. So talk about what does it do for Gmail? So it's an add-on to your Gmail that works across all the major browsers. And what you do is you add this to your Gmail, and then on the Gmail native user interface, what it allows you to do is send your email later. Oh, so it's like scheduling a response or scheduling a original message or both? It, it is actually both of those things and more. There's also the option to, hey, if this person hasn't responded to me, uh, by this date, pop that back up so that I can see that they didn't respond and that'll remind me to ask them again. Wow, that is cool. Um, all right, so let's start with how do you add this to Gmail? Is it, is it pretty straightforward? Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, again, it's pretty much just a browser uh, add-on for Safari, Chrome, Firefox, and then it, and it works with Gmail, regular Gmail, as well as Google Apps. So Gmail. it's a browser plugin. It's not necessarily a Gmail plugin. Is that correct? Because I think right. there are two yes. different things. Okay. Yes. Yeah, you're, yeah, you are correct. There is a differentiation there. So, so if it's a browser plugin, then it means you got to keep your Gmail open all the time, right? For it to work, right? <laughs> Uh, just for when you go back in though, like if I, you know, so if I go back in to my Gmail and say I had one scheduled, yeah, it, it'll work. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, so if I, as long as I have this app installed, I could compose an email and say, I want to send it in two hours, hypothetically, mm-hmm. right. Or tomorrow morning at six before I wake up. Um, and then I could shut down my computer, quit my browser and it would still work. Yeah. Cause well, it'll have it scheduled. It, it, it works right there seamlessly with Gmail. Awesome. So somehow it actually integrates yeah. into the Gmail account. Yes. Very cool. Yes. Um, is this, is this, is there a cost? There is a basic, which allows you to do 10 messages for a month. Okay. And then from that point forward that you, you can jump up into like unlimited and 
add-on features at each tier starting at four ninety nine for a month. And then it goes upwards to like four dollars and ninety nine cents. Okay, yeah, yeah, four four not four hundred four dollars and ninety nine cents a month, and that's going to get you the the most uh, bang for your buck. I think. How, how are you using it? I like to not send a lot of emails on the weekends. <laughs> I like to like if I suddenly think of oh you know what I remembered something uh, that I need to ask somebody, but probably they're not going to see it, so I will. Uh, Send. I will write my message so that I don't forget to do it. But then I will have it show up at the next time I know they are about to check their email. Mm, They're much more likely to respond if it's a new top-of-the-mind email when they first open their email inbox. Is there any other unique capabilities of this other than just um, you know scheduling a, repl- a res- uh, original message or a response? Um, and the other thing you talked about, which was if someone hasn't responded to the message within X period of time, to somehow flag you? Are there any other things like that? Yeah. Um, actually, one other factor I forgot to, to mention is the fact that this does what that email app called Mailbox that everybody was all kicked on about for a while, which would let you snooze your emails and bring them back around at a later time when you're ready to, to work actually work with them. Cool. This will allow you to do that too. So for example, say say I know that there's a message there from you and I know you don't need an immediate response, and I can't deal with it right now, but I want it to come back around this afternoon when I actually sit down to do my email. I can check a box, and it'll come back around at you know, whatever time I say. That is so cool. That is really, really cool. I mean, like I'm the kind of guy who, whenever I get an idea, I email people, even if it's the middle of the night. <laughs> I know. And because I'm the CEO <laughs> of the company, they probably feel like they have to respond right away, even though they don't. You know, So I could see... I could see using a tool like this to kind of not freak out my staff, you know, and just have it say, send them in the morning or something, you know? Right. Yeah. That is really cool. Well, how do we find this uh, uh, extension, if you will? Yeah. What you do is just head on over to boomeranggmail.com. Boomeranggmail.com. That's it. Awesome. Awesome. Um, And I would imagine you have to use the actual web-based interface in order for this to work, right? It's not going to work on an app. Um, like for example, on my phone or will it, they have a web interface that will work on a mobile, like on the Safari browser or the Gmail browser on an iPhone. Okay. And there is a demo out there on their site for the Android app they're working on. Excellent. Awesome. Thank you so much for bringing us that new find, Eric. You're welcome. Did you know that we can deliver awesome marketing info directly into your inbox? Simply subscribe to our weekly newsletter that comes out three days a week. You won't miss any of the updates going on in the world of social marketing. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates. Let's transition over to this week's interview with Park Howell. Helping you simplify your social safari, here's this week's expert guide. I'm very excited to be joined today by Park Howell. If you don't know who Park is, he's a brand story strategist who helps businesses grow through the power of stories. He's also host of the Business of Story podcast, which I strongly recommend, and he performs workshops on Story for Business. Park, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks, Michael. It's so great to be here. So today, Park and I are going to explore the mechanics of storytelling and really get into the the craft of actually telling story from a marketer's perspective. And Park, I'm really excited about this because this is one of my favorite topics. But before we get into that, let's back up for a second. Tell me about your story, Park. How did you get into story in the first place? 
Well, it's a good question. Um, uh, it started, I've been in the ad- advertising business, marketing world for 30 years. And, uh, you know, we had our share of successes and a few mediocre missteps and that spectacular failure now and again. <laughs> and what always frustrated me is not knowing when a TV spot or a radio commercial was going to work or not going to work. Now, I've been at this long enough that when we started, it was all about TV, radio, outdoor, you know, that sort of thing. Now, the whole digital domain something brand new, but it's so much fun to work in. And anyway... Um, Our middle son, Parker, went to film school in 2006 through 2010 at Chapman University in Orange, California. And around that time, story was just starting to bubble up as sort of a soup du jour in advertising world and whatever. And uh, I just said to him, you know, since we're paying for those textbooks, when you're done with them, send them over to me because I want to know what does Hollywood teach you to get you prepared for the most competitive storytelling universe in the universe. You know, so hold on a LA. second. What was your son studying exactly? He was studying film, film production. He graduated with a degree in film production, a minor in business. He's in Hollywood, has been there since 2010. He's a motion graphics artist mm-hmm. and has written his first film, shot a sizzle reel for it, took it to Cannes, France this time last year, and he's doing what you do when you're 28 years old and an aspiring film director. He's running it around Hollywood trying to sell it. Wow. So yeah, he's he's embedded in it. So um, you 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 got intrigued because he got intrigued or did he start sharing what he was learning? Well, yeah. I mean, I've always been intrigued by how creativity works, the, the, the structure of it. And in fact, Michael, I studied communications, got a degree in that at Washington State University. But while I was there, I also got a degree in music composition and theory. Hmm. I played the piano as a little kid all the way up through my, grad, my, my degree. And I wrote a lot of music just as a kid, just for the fun of it. And then I just kept writing, writing, writing music. I don't write as much anymore, but I was fascinated by how music works and the mechanics of it, the mathematics of it, whatever. And I think that latent, that fascination was latent in me over all these years. And once he started studying how do story work, it just completely fired up in me again. So I went from, you know, trying to understand how music works from when I was in school to now really understanding what did Hollywood know that we needed to know about being persuasive communicators and using story to move people to action. So I was just curious. I figured there was something there. And he sent me a couple books, of screenwriting books that they read. One of them was Save the Cat by Blake Snyder, who had sold more family-oriented screenplays in the 80s than anybody else. Huh. And he had, had a prescription, a, the 15 beats to a story. I mean, he could tell you, he says, you know, a, a screenplay needs to be the same number of pages as a jockey is heavy. That's wow. in 110, 110 pages. And he can tell you on each page what needed to happen. Um, you know, within a page or two. And now it sounds very formulaic, but it was a form that he was able to use and it worked very well. And, and many writers have used that since. So I was fascinated by that first and foremost. And then I really got introduced to Joseph Campbell, who America's foremost mythologist. He had passed away in 1987, but his work certainly lives on today. Um, and I saw what Snyder had done with Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey, and, and that's a, what he calls the monomyth, a 17-step process in story structure. And the funniest thing one day, I was looking at reading through this, and I was looking at a brand strategy plan that we were pulling together here at the agency, and I saw it actually emerge within the plan, and I'm going, my goodness, I'm, I mean, we're doing this. We don't even realize that we're following this story structure, this journey as we create this plan. 
And then I asked myself, I wonder if we actually got intentional about it and took Campbell's hero's journey and I boiled it down to 10 steps that were easier to digest in business with, without quite the nuance of an epic thriller um, and used it to kind of guide the creation and the thinking that went into the content needed to really tell a story that's going to make a difference and move the needle. And to my amazement, it worked. It worked extraordinary. It was extraordinarily effective. And so I just started fine-tuning it. And that was along about 2007, 2008. And um, we created the story cycle process. We used it for everything from, again, high-level brand strategy right down to the creation of a 30-second TV spot. That's amazing. And now you can see it actually work, not so much the story cycle, but the three beats that lead into that in Vine videos that are done really well. Um, in other parts, you know, social media, digital world, where you have just a blip of time to communicate a story, you can still get that across if you just follow three fundamental principles of the three-act play. Give me a setup, introduce conflict, and resolve it for me. And if you can do that, and you can certainly do that in a six-second Vine video or less, you will connect with the, the deep reaches of our minds and the reptilian brain kicks in, the subconscious kicks in, and it says, I love you because you're speaking my language. And that's the language of teach me something that I can learn right now for the survival of this being. And that's what it ultimately comes down to, the basic survival instincts of our minds. And that's why story and story structure work so well on it. Excellent. Well, I first um, discovered you because of your Business of Story podcast, and I started listening the day you launched. And um, I just kind of got sucked into these amazing people that you were interviewing on there that were getting into the craft of story, the psychology of story. And I've always kind of intuitively known that there is definitely power to story. But I would like you to explain to the marketer listening right now that maybe isn't sold on the value of story. Why should we care about stories? <laughs> because it truly is our superpower. It's the way our brain is hardwired for it. It is constantly searching for stories. Now, think about this. We can go weeks without eating. We can go days without drinking. But we can only go roughly 35 seconds without our brains scanning our environment and creating meaning out of something around us. So we are absolutely meaning-making machines. That's what makes us humans. And stories are as important to our minds as oxygen is to our lungs for survival. And that's that's the pure reason about it. Now, I got through this in a roundabout way as our son was studying um, you know, film in, at Chapman University, and I was studying what did Hollywood know about story structure. Our youngest son also had some challenges with, uh, he had encephalitis as a young boy and uh, dealt with it throughout his you know, formative years. And when he was a, a sophomore in high school, we had to go in and do some brain surgery. And they went in and opened up a little valve in there and helped release the, the fluid. And he's doing great today. He's 22 years old. He's, he's just fantastic. But at that same time, I was reading everything I could get my hands on about the structure of the mind and what happens when you have this extra pressure on the frontal lobe and in adolescence. And I just started studying everything I could about how does our mind function. And these two worlds absolutely came together. What Hollywood know, uh, knew about story or knows about story structure intersecting with the neuroscience of how our brain actually takes in, absorbs, and processes story. That's when I was completely sold. I said, you know, this isn't just a gimmicky thing. 
This is literally how our beings get through life. And so if we can use it and use it respectfully and use it for good, not evil, we can have some tremendous impact in the worlds that we live in and in, in, in where we teach and when we're selling online. And I, I always tell people use it for good and not evil because you can move people in all different directions with the right story. So what exactly happens in the brain when, when we hear a story? Well, you automatically uh, filter it through past experience. So the first thing is your you know, hippocampus fires up and it starts pulling up memories. And you're like, okay, last time I saw something like this, I reacted this way, I reacted that way. How should I react now? Now what should I do? And the brain literally tells itself a story, tries to run nonstop scenarios to figure out what the best scenario is and then act upon that scenario, and it does it in milliseconds. So it so, kind of like gives us a attention bolt almost, doesn't it? Like it gets us to pay attention, right? It completely does. I mean, nature gave a story for no other reason than to draw our rapt attention. Huh. And uh, there's a terrific book on that um, called Rapt, if someone wants you know, to dig into that a little bit more. Um, Winifred, and I can't think of her last name right now, but it's all about how our brains are looking you know, for what, what creates the rapt attention in our minds, and story is the theme throughout that whole book. But it's there because nature wants us to stay alive procreate and create more of ourselves, right? So the last thing we can do is be stepping out in front of buses and falling off cliffs and, you know, doing the wily e. Coyote type thing and having saves fall on our heads. So what does nature do? It's constantly running scenarios in our minds, which are nothing but stories that uh, we are telling ourselves on what to do next, what to do next. You think about it, every uh, dream study that you read about is when you are dreaming, it's simply your mind running scenarios and practicing stories to help you fight or flight, depending on what may or may not happen to you uh, in the next day. So really great stories, and every author will tell you this. I've had the opportunity of interviewing a lot of really fascinating authors and screenwriters and screenwriting coaches on Business of Story. They'll say that the thing about story is we live vicariously through the protagonists so that we can try on trouble just to see what we would do in case it happens to us. Mm. What's really, we're going to get into the, how do you actually build a story here in just a second. But what I think is so intriguing about this for marketers is that it's a very noisy world that we operate in as marketers right now. And there's lots of messages being sent, if you will, um, from other marketers to the audience that we're trying to reach via every conceivable channel you can imagine. And very few of those messages contain a story component. If it does contain a story component, the likelihood of, of the uh, intended recipient receiving and acting upon that message is going to be much higher. And I think that's the reason why everybody ought to pay attention to what we're going to talk about next. So let's dig into it. Mm -hmm. How do we actually build a story? I know that you've come up with a structure um, for that. So let's kind of unwrap that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And I've come up with this structure by studying lots and lots and lots of really smart people that have done it for me. And all I've done is connect the dots that I have found that work for me in my life and my business and for our clients. And I now teach this process at ASU and the School of Sustainability to international executives. Um, but and that's I Arizona think, State University, right? Yes, okay. Arizona State University uh, wrote a curriculum around this about three years ago. And we're just into our third cohort now. It's just been great fun. Excellent. And um, 
One of the, the, the people that have inspired me most is a gentleman by the name of Randy Olson. And what I love about Randy's work, he's a character. He lives out in Malibu. He's a surfer. He's a Harvard PhD uh, oceanographer. He gave up tenure at, uh, I think, his University of New Hampshire, went to USC Film School, studied film, made a few documentaries, and has just recently uh, published his third book. And his third book is called Houston, We Have a Narrative. Mm. Now, Randy's whole mission in life, you know, a PhD scientist turned communicator, is to help the science world understand how to do a better job of talking in narrative form versus just throwing a bunch of stats and facts at the rest of us that, that just don't resonate. And he came across, of all things, um, a construct called the and, but, and therefore, and he got it from South Park. He's an avid South Park watcher, uh, uh, Trey Parker, Matt Stone, the creators of that, who have a hand in writing every one of the scripts, as I understand it. When they find a script falling flat, they do the rule of replacement, and they change out, they take out ands and replace them with buts and therefores. Mm. And so it's called the and, but, and therefore. It's a perfect three-act structure that you can do in a single sentence, essentially. Hmm. So, for instance, um, I got up to walk the dog, and we ran out in the street and headed down to grab a cuff, cup of coffee. So in and of itself, not a story, but you got a setup there. You got act one. But a car came careening around the corner and was heading directly for my poor pooch. There's the act two. Right. And all of a sudden, the brain is fired up. Oh, my God, what did you do? Right. You know, therefore, I did the only thing I could do is I reached down, grabbed him by the scrap of the neck, jumped out of the way just in time for the driver to get off of his text and wheel his car back into the center of the road, and off he went. Hmm. Now, in that basic scenario, you have a setup. You have a conflict and you have a resolution. You allow the person you're telling that story to to live vicariously through you. Understand like, oh, my God, okay, what's the learning here? I'm, next time I'm walking my dog, I'm going to pay attention more, especially people that are maybe texting behind the wheel. And what would be the best way to get out of that? I don't know if I'd grab the scrap of the neck. Maybe I'd just keep the dog closer to me um, the next time I walk him. Now, that sounds far-fetched, but literally your brain runs that scenario in about one second. And it's all then lodged in your you know, memory bank, and you've got something to play off of moving forward. Well, if that's the case, and it's been proven time and time again, you use this and button, therefore you can use that as the, it's essentially the DNA for story, as I told Randy. The ABT is the DNA of story, and you can start every communication with that. So maybe you are trying to write a campaign and it's just not coming to you. Start with an and button, therefore, placing your customer at the center of the story. You know, Sally would love to have longer, you know, lusher hair. And she's tried all of the regular products but doesn't like the chemicals in it, you know. Right. Therefore, our, our all-organic, you know, soy-based shampoo is the answer for Sally. Now, hold on a second. Um, mm -hmm. In this case, you said Sally wants longer, lusher hair and has tried all of the um, the products that are out there. Should it but, be, should it be but, but she's tried or, or is the butt? So, the but, but she doesn't like all the chemicals in the product. Oh, I so see what you're saying. Gotcha, she, gotcha. She's tried it and then this happened, but. Gotcha, gotcha. This, you know, she's not crazy about all these chemicals. There's the conflict and then the resolution comes in with the product offering. Therefore, you know, our free range shampoo. <laughs> right. You get only out of Cambodia. Uh, 
palm oil free is what you need for long, luscious hair. Huh. But this most, it's the most basic construct, and I find, Michael, that when I get stuck, as we all do, when you're writing anything from a presentation uh, to a proposal to an ad to a tweet, you can simply go back and say, okay, what am I trying to say, and just use this and, but, and therefore construct to build the foundation for your story. Once you have that, then you can jump off that and get as elaborate and nuanced with your story as you like. Okay, let's let's dig in a little bit here. Let the first part of the story. Did you say it was called the setup? Is that is that what what I mean? I, mean, I know yeah, it's it, the and component, but like I want to like dig a little deeper under the and. Yeah. So let's you know think about it. If you went back to Aristotle, he would say it's simply the beginning. You have a middle, and you have an end. Okay. You know, Hegel, the philosopher, would say no. In this case, you have a thesis an antithesis, and a synthesis, the Mm. basic structure of argument, but it's a three-act play. If you have Mozart in the room, Mozart wrote sonatas and invented the sonata sonata allegro form, and that was also all about exposition, development, resolution. They're all the same thing. It's a three-act play. So it's the setup or backstory. It's putting your story in context. Who's in this story? What's happening in the story? Where is it happening? That sort of thing. That's act one. And then if you leave it there, nothing happens. So you have to have something. You have to have conflict, and that comes with the buts. And in this case, that's the middle. That's where the conflict happens in business. Businesses love to avoid conflict, so they keep it out of their stories often. That's why you always got to remember without conflict, you have no story. Hmm. So then there's resolution, which is act three. How does this all come together? What is the learning experience? What is the truth? That's why every story has a moral to it. It's either explicit or implicit within the story because our mind is constantly grappling to try to understand what is the universal truth you are trying to tell me through your story. Okay, so let's say, uh, let's focus on the act one, the and act. How A lot of people that don't understand story have no clue where to start. Like, where do we actually start with the story? Because there is a... There's got to be something to the start process, right? Or do you just start talking? Well, it, you start with the end. But what, but what I mean it? is, how do you even know what to include in the end? Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, but it, I mean, you literally start with the end in mind. Oh, so the, end, the, the end. end oh. The end in mind of, what am I trying to impart in the story I'm just about ready to tell? Ah. And that then shapes the story of what goes into the beginning. I once had a client in the water business who summed it up best for me for all of us in sales marketing, content marketing. He said, find the hurt, amplify the pain, heal the wound. Hmm. So again, three-act structure. He didn't even realize he was thinking in three-act structure, but that's basically it. So what I always try to do is figure out, all right, who's my audience and what wisdom am I trying to impart to them? That then always leads me to what kind of story, where the story takes place, um, and how I'm going to tell that story. Mm. So always starting with that end in mind. Who's the audience and what do I want them to feel? What do I want them to think and emotionally connect with me? And then that dictates how my story starts. Now, depending, I just literally was with a bunch of vice chancellors of the Maricopa County Community College District here. It's the largest community college district in the country, and I did a workshop today for them. And um, 
there, what I really want to do in part with them is that, look at, you know, communication is not a soft skill. It's a, it's a, Everyone calls it a soft skill, but when you bring story to the classroom and story to your initiatives outside the classroom, you can have a tremendous impact. So that colored how I did a character arc or a story arc for my entire one-hour presentation to get them from kind of being non-believers into, oh, this is interesting, inserting some conflict within that presentation through some of the things I had them actually do within the workshop. And these will be some of the kinds of things that we'll be doing with the workshop at the social media marketing world too. And then bringing um, resolution to it to show them that they can see their story literally come to life within this one-hour time frame. So I can demonstrate to them this isn't magical. It's something that we were all at the tops of our games when we were in kindergarten, and it's just simply been coached or taught out of us. All I'm doing is reigniting it. But I let the audience and what I want to achieve with that audience dictate what story I have to tell. I would imagine if we take a classical TV show like Seinfeld um, <laughs> or you know Cheers or any of these kinds of shows, we could probably deconstruct this and see this at work. But I also, while I'm thinking about shows like Seinfeld, I'm thinking that they actually have stories within stories. Yep. And sometimes, is that useful? Absolutely, if you can pull it off. Now, you know, those are really gifted comedians and gifted writers that do that. Right. And they can make it complicated, but they take you by the hand as the viewer. And that's why that show is so unbelievably successful. You know, they have three different storylines. And I think they even got better at it. I don't think they were particularly good at it in the first couple seasons, but it seemed like by season four, they really hit their pace and they were able to get George into trouble and Jerry into trouble and Elaine doing something different and somehow bringing it all together in the end, you know, in a tight little bow that we all sat there and lived vicariously through and laughed our asses off in the process, but extraordinarily, you know, gifted at that. Now, the one area you can do this and have success if you are on stage or you find yourself having to give somewhat of a lengthy PowerPoint presentation um, to be able to weave a couple subplots or sub stories within that overall arching story right. can be really, really effective. And again, to do that, I just go back to pointing to um, use the ABT for every one of those to get your foundation down. Uh, to get your storyline down and then build upon that and make sure you don't stray from it. You know, it's funny because it's funny you're mentioning presentations because last year at the opening keynote at Social Media Marketing World, and as of this recording, I'm working on the opening keynote for the 2016 conference. I tried something different. In the past, I would say, here is, here is I, I'm revealing research trends, okay? And I would say, here's the trends, and then I would share a story. And I noticed that the story would fall flat because I've kind of already given the result of the story, you mm -hmm. know? So I flipped it up last year and instead I started with the story and then I used the story as proof, you know, of uh, what I was trying to teach them about. And at the end I would say, and now here is what this, here here is research that supports this story and what it means to marketers. And by putting the story first and I put like seven little stories, you know, wrapped into this presentation and behind each story was the data and what it meant for marketers. You know, like these are examples. Like I'm working right now on uh, the Amazing Race TV show and how the Amazing Race TV show has seen ratings decline over the last few years and did something completely unusual. They uh, recruited an, a cast of all social media superstars. And, um, and I'm kind of unpacking what they did and that entire story and all the unique things they did to try to make 
you know, the show a success. And then at the end, I'm going to follow through with the research showing um, something that ties the whole thing together. And I found that this stuff works like magic. <laughs> like people just sit there and they, and they, they latch on these stories like crazy. And I've never had this much attention for data, you know, because in the end I'm delivering data that, that these guys are going to use to make decisions about what they ought to or ought not to do in their future marketing efforts. Is that kind of what we're talking about? Oh, completely. I have a line now that I use that I learned from my students at ASU. I've seen it in action. And I just say a spoonful of story helps the data go down. Exactly. That's exactly what I, what I say, except not exactly. I say it's like a, yeah, it's like a spoonful of sugar, isn't it? It is. It absolutely is. And when you lead with data in a story, you automatically set yourself up as an expert and you trigger the expert in the crowd and everyone sitting out there become the expert. They fold their arms, even if it's subconsciously, and then they say, okay, Michael, prove it. When you lead with data, you immediately have to prove yourself. But if you lead with an event and a story that sets up the data – uh, then you've got an, it's a Trojan horse, essentially. You know, Jonathan Gottschall, who wrote just one of the most amazing books, it's the one book I really hung on when my son was going through um, the, the surgery called A Storytelling Animal, why stories make, or how stories make us human. Um, he also wrote an extraordinarily uh, great article in Fast Company about the Trojan horse of story and when mm. you have to share a lot of data, use story. And here's why I think it works. And I boiled it down to this too is in my own mind. Um, you know, data does one of three things. Data is in, indeed the foundation for the story. It's, it's what our metrics are, are, our stories are based off of. But data does only one of three things. Data either reports an event that has happened, monitors an event that is currently happening, or attempts to predict an event in the future. Just think of the weatherman. Mm-hmm. The weatherman can report that it was 84 degrees yesterday. He can tell you, and today we've had you know, rain showers and it's 75. Tomorrow we have a cold snap coming in and we expect it to be in the low 60s. All right. So when you hear that, do you really care about the data or do you care about the event? You care about the event because the event dictates what you wear and how are you going to travel, what you have to look out for. And I think the very basal reason why this is, is data can't kill us, but events can. Mm. If you're talking to our reptilian brain, data scares the hell out of it because it doesn't know what you're trying to tell it. And if you just show a bunch of charts and graphs and statistics, it's going to become an expert and say, prove it, prove it, prove it. I don't believe you. And you don't want that in a storytelling situation. You don't want it in a presentation situation. But if you lead with the event and then back up your hypothesis about how the event is going to play out with the data that you have to prove it out, then you've won that battle. And it's way more interesting. So um, a lot of people listening right now are like, okay, I can understand how a television show or a movie or even a song that's four minutes long or whatever could share a story you know, and, and lure people in like the piano man or whatever. But what about on social media where on Snapchat, I've got 10 seconds on Vine, I got six seconds and on Twitter, I have 140 characters. How do we, how do we leverage these constrained mediums, social, right? Some Mm -hmm. of them have natural constraints built into them because of the, the nature of the way, you know, they're set up. How do we leverage these social networks to tell stories that normally are hard to tell in such a short period of time. 
Yeah, you really have to invite your audience in to be a participant of your story. And you typically start by doing that with visuals. And, you know, social media has become such a visual medium, even on Twitter. You know, you get so much more hit and responses when you are sharing visuals. So I would start with a visual Mm -hmm. and something that really tells a story in its own right, or at least tees up your story that you're then going to pay off in a headline, pay off in a tweet, um, and then bring it full circle with a call to action. What is it you want me to do with this knowledge? You want me to click on here to go to this blog, to listen to this podcast or whatever? So one of the first ways to start is to think about it as very much of the visual medium it is and find fantastic visuals that have a story inherent in them and make sure it's the story that you want to tell and then uh, find ways to play that off with the content that you're sharing either within the visual itself. Like, for instance, I've been having a lot of fun with uh, Business of Story in that I'm also a very, very amateur street photographer, and whenever I travel, I'm always looking for the oddest scenes. So I use a lot of my own photography, in fact, one um, the other day was my son over um, in San Diego, and he was trying to catch a bird by putting a French fry down in the old trap with, you know, holding the box up, and there's a stick on it, and he's got a string on it, and he's about <laughs> ready to pull it, and it's, you know, on the deck of the Del Coronado. It was just so much fun, and he was just goofing around, and I had my iPhone. I took a picture of it. And he's pretending to look away as if he's on his phone, as if, you know, the birds think, oh, he's not looking. I'm going to run in and grab this thing. And it turned out to be an absolutely hysterical shot in and of itself. I just loved it. Right. And then I just added a little headline to it, something to the effect of how effective is your content marketing? There you go. And then put a business story, you know, logo on it. So it brings it full circle. But packed into that whole little communication within this one visual is a complete story that involves the reader, the viewer, you know, the person experiencing it. I think it's brilliant that you're talking about using uh, photography or um, stock images or, you know, illustrations or any of those kinds of things because it does extend the medium. Um, they say a picture is worth a thousand words, right? And we know that there's a lot of pictures we can think about, like those guys trying to hold up the flags and Iwo Jima or whatever, oh, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, these, these these pictures have stories inside of them, and that's really powerful when you couple that with a headline like you're talking about. And and then when you think about the idea of moving pictures, right, which is essentially video, um, there's a, that explains why a lot of these Vine people are so popular because you truly can get something done in six seconds, right? I mean, because if, if you can do it in a still image, which is less than six seconds for the brain to process, then for sure you should be able to do it in six seconds in these Vine videos. Have you had a chance to check out any of these Vine folks? Like, I don't know if you're familiar with Zach King. He's this guy that does these special effect cut kind of videos where, like I just saw one this morning where he um, said how to eliminate brain chill and he was drinking a slurpee <laughs> and um and then he's and 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 he said here's how to eliminate brain chill and then he shows his head on the side of the road and he smacks himself in the head and ice cubes are coming out of his brain because he's a he's a video like uh you know one of these video guys that can make things look magical on video and it just loops over and over again and it's kind of unbelievable because this guy just this is all he does is create these crazy things that you have to watch over and over again so i mean it, it does require creativity i guess is the key right but you, it all does yeah. doesn't you know i mean even your podcast requires a lot of creativity. You don't just show up and, and go through the motions, and none of us can afford to do that in the marketing world. 
that we have to be creative about all of our approaches. All I have found is it's like a suspension bridge. When you follow basic story structure, it's the undergirding of that suspension bridge. And then it's up to us to travel across it and create the stories. So, you know, this guy that's doing the, the Vine videos is fabulous. And yeah. You don't even have to outthink yourself. All you have to do is say, all right, I got two seconds to set it up. I got two seconds to have some conflict. And then I got two seconds to have some fun with, you know, the payoff of it. And all of a sudden, you've got a mini feature documentary, for, you know, all at six seconds long. Yeah. Well, it's absolutely amazing. Um, Park, we could go on forever. And some people are like, don't stop. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you tell people, first of all, folks, the good news is Park talks about this every week on his show. Um why don't you tell people where you want to send them to discover more about you and all the great stuff you're doing with Story? Yeah, I've got, thank you for that. I've got, uh, you know, the one portal, businessofstory.com. And I've been writing about this ever since my son was in school back in, you know, 2006. So I got a ton of content on there. Re- I've refined it quite a bit. And we did launch our podcast in July. And to let your listeners know, our podcast, what I do is I go out and I Try to find story artists, people that are literally making a living selling stories. So these are screenwriters in Hollywood, movie makers, producers. I'm recording again for the second time tomorrow, Robert McKee, legendary screenwriting coach. He's coming on to talk about story structure in business. Um, But what I try to do is find these really brilliant story minds from around the world and ask them, what do we as content marketers, digital marketers, business leaders need to know that they know? about telling stories. So uh, it, it's all at the business of story. I've got some uh, tools there that people can download. There are free tools just to kind of help you along your story path. And uh, it just goes back to I want to be able to provide you with pragmatic, intentional structure for your stories. And once you get that structure down and once you have it filled in with your content, feel free to mix and match your story and tell it in any way you like. Really bring that uniqueness out in you. But that's what the business's story is all about, just to help businesses grow by understanding how important and how impactful really good stories are on our minds. And again, that website was businessofstory.com. Is that correct? Businessofstory.com. You bet. And uh, Park's podcast is also called by the same name. I strongly recommend you check it out. Park, on behalf of all of my listeners, thank you so much for unraveling and ex- you know exploring with me the power of story for marketing. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. My honor. I really appreciate it as well, Michael. Thank you. Well, I hope you found great value in today's interview. By the way, you can always listen to it again, but we also do take all the notes for you if you visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash 193. That stands for episode 193. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast so you never miss a future episode of this show. Hit that subscribe button if you're brand new to the show. This brings us this brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, the stumbling host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you in the driver's seat next week. I hope you make the best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Want more good stuff? Sign up for our top-notch social marketing newsletter. We deliver it straight into your inbox three days a week. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates.